0: Early Risers is supported by Health Partners and Park Nicollet. From rashes, fevers, shots, and all other things that make you worry a lot, Health Partners has pediatric care for your kids. Visit healthpartners.com slash schedule.
1: From Little Moments Count and Minnesota Public Radio, this is Early Risers, Waking Up to Racial Equity in Early Childhood. I'm your host, Diane Halsey. This podcast is about how to talk with very young children about race and racism, and how to celebrate cultural differences. When it comes to a child's healthy development, we cannot underestimate the role of our family pediatrician. In the early childhood field, we talk a lot about how pediatricians are these trusted advisors, and that's backed up by research. According to a 2016 survey by the Child Development Organization Zero to Three, parents of children under the age of five reported being more likely to follow parenting advice from a medical provider than from close friends or even extended family. So what happens when a pediatrician starts giving advice to families about how to talk to young children about race? And I try to frame it that way. Like, as parents, you guys want to be the ones that
0: have these conversations. If you don't, if you want to put your head in the ground, that's your choice. But then they're going to get that information from somewhere else. You know, they're not living in a bubble.
1: Dr. Nathan Shomalo is a practicing general pediatrician in Minnesota with Park Nicollet Health Services and Health Partners, which provides financial support for this podcast. Dr. Chomelo wears other hats as well, including serving as medical director for the state of Minnesota's Medicaid and Minnesota care programs. I first met Dr. Chomelo several years ago when he and I were appointed to serve on an early learning council run out of the governor's office. One of my first impressions is that he had a keen understanding of early childhood and compassion for the patients and families he serves. In all of his work, Dr. Nate, as I like to call him, has been a leading voice around health equity. A few years ago, he started incorporating conversations about race into his annual wellness checkups with children and families. This isn't something he was trained to do when he was coming up as a doctor. Now, he's encouraging other medical providers to have these conversations in their practice as well. He's also been pushing the medical field to reckon with a long history of structural racism in medicine. Dr. Chomolo grew up in the Midwest in a mixed race family with roots in Cameroon. Both of his parents worked in healthcare. We started our conversation by talking about Dr. Chomolo's earliest memories around race and racism as a child. Being the
0: son of immigrants and my dad, He's admitted since that he didn't really know he was black until he came to the US, you know, as a young man, uh, because that wasn't just a concept, you know, familiar to him growing up in Cameroon and West Africa. Um, there wasn't a lot of explicit discussion about race, right? Um, and so for me, like one of my earliest memories of realizing I was being othered, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. was when I was around six or seven growing up in Joliet, Illinois. And there was, you know, two instances, one where another child on the bus, you know, made a derogatory comment uh, about me uh, in regards to me being black. And then the other was our next door neighbor, who was a gentleman who I remember to be, you know, a a bit older than my parents Mm -hmm. and had one of his granddaughters over visiting. And we went over thinking, oh, there's another friend to play with. And he uh, came out and said, you N-words, get off my lawn. If you ever come back here again, I'm going to shoot you with my shotgun.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: And you were how old? And I was like seven and with with my little brother who was two years younger than me. And I remember it escalating to the point that, like, my parents called the police. You know, they got upset about it. But um, I don't recall much else coming from that. But both of those incidents happened while living in, in Joliet, Illinois, around that same age. And, and that, that's how I was introduced to, uh, you know, being othered because of the color of my skin.
1: Yeah. It actually sounds pretty traumatic. And we learned that oftentimes children of color, their first realization about race is not always a positive one. So, yeah, thank you for telling us that story. I'm just curious did incidents like that come into play as you decided that you wanted to be a doctor? Yeah, I can't say that
0: I was thinking about incidents like that. When I decided I wanted to become a doctor, I was. Thinking more about how in watching my dad, who's a pharmacist, my mom, who's a nurse, interact in their day jobs, as well as uh, in our community, folks are always asking them for help navigating the healthcare system. And I really wanted to do something that was helping people. And I really liked the idea of being able to help the community as well. Um, and so that was kind of you know what I was at the front of my mind when I was entering medicine. But in medical schools, where I really started learning about what, you know, is called the social determinants of health, right? All these other factors mm-hmm. that impact one's health and opportunity. And I think that's really what started to open my mind to, you know, not just looking at disparities in health along lines of race, but like, what are the factors contributing to that? And that is, yeah. in part, what led me, you know, eventually to really digging into how uh, we socialize children around race and how that really does impact. Their health, you know, short-term and
1: long-term. Now, that's really interesting. So did you actually, like, take courses at all in medical school about racial bias and how we learn about racial bias? I'm just curious about how you learned all of this.
0: Yeah, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, there were no such courses. I, I would have been very interested in taking them had mm-hmm. they been available. And I honestly don't know if there are even today, Um, You know, at least not part of the required formal curriculum. You know, for me, it really, I point often to Lando Castile's murder, Mm. right? And having to do, you know, some reflection as I was actually asked to come and talk and share my experiences being a black man in America and and in medicine. And during those periods, really kind of reflecting on, you know, what could we do as physicians to address structural racism Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. even more concretely like what can I do as a pediatrician to uh, really impact the development of racism because that is probably one of the reasons I've been drawn into public health as well is because pediatricians a lot of our job is to really set kids up for a long healthy you know productive life and so we, we're really trying to stop problems before they begin. Um, and, and racism right. is a huge problem. And it yes. stems, you know, from childhood and the experiences and how we socialize and how we form our own identity in relation to others. And so I really want to learn, you know, more about that. And I think one of the big, you know, first pieces was Beverly Tatum's book, Why Are All mm-hmm. the Black Children Sitting Together in a Cafeteria? Yes. And really reading that. But then she has like, you know, citations in there. And so going and reading other folks uh, that, you know, she cited and then kind of just diving into a lot of the literature around racial socialization and really kind of teaching myself and then kind of trying to find out where in the system of education, the system of delivering care uh, as a pediatrician, we could really start to you know, try to move the needle on this.
1: Yeah. And as you may know, uh, Dr. Tatum's been a guest on Early Rises. She's done some phenomenal work. Um, it's been really instrumental for me as well. But I I applaud your, your passion for this. And you also have actually taken it a step further. You didn't just learn about this for yourself. You've actually began to put it into practice in your practice as a pediatrician. And I understand that you are actually, I think it's at the three-year visit, you actually do talk to parents about race. And I'd love to know, like, first of all, how did you um, decide to start to do that. And then what are some of the things that you'd say to parents?
0: Yeah. So I, if you read uh, the literature around racial socialization and racial identity formation, um, you see that, you know, three to four years of age is really a critical time where children can Understand differences or see differences uh, mm-hmm. along lines of race as early as like six months. Yeah, so they don't really start to internalize any of what they're kind of hearing until like closer to three or four. You know, what really struck me is not only the intentional like conversations we have and things that we expose children to, but the unintentional acts that we don't really maybe think about, like you know, locking our car as we drive through certain ne- neighborhoods yes. um, and mm-hmm. the messages that that sends, right? And so you know, having the conversation then i think it's really important for parents to start to think about that and really kind of reflect on what intentionally they're doing so it's great to have diverse books and be exposed to diverse media but also other decisions like what are the communities that are involved in uh, those clubs and those activities and that you're you're signing your kids up for are they getting exposed to you know diversity in those spaces as well soon parents have to think about where they're going to send their kids to school and how does, Mm -hmm. you know, that uh, decision informed by um, the desire to have a healthy, you know, racial identity formation. Um, And so I think if we had kind of spring all this at once on parents and certain decision points, it can feel overwhelming. But, you know, you start it early, talk about some of the kind of simple ways that this is part of the normal developmental process, which is how I, you know, frame it at the three and four uh, year visits. Is like, you know, children are just learning about themselves and they're asking questions like you know mm-hmm. why is my skin color different why is their hair different um yes. you know why am I like daddy why am I like mommy right and so we have an opportunity to kind of help inform uh, healthy development both intentionally um and there's unintentional things that we do and then I point them to resources that I found helpful so I usually point folks to embrace race and raising race conscious kids as places that they can keep learning more and this is something that I you know is important for all parents and so one thing I noted you know, pretty quickly looking through the literature on racial socialization is that it really came out of um, kind of research and study on how black parents prepared their children to deal Mm -hmm. with a racist society, Mm -hmm. right? It was really through that lens that we need to kind of protect our kids by making sure they're able to deal with the racism coming their way versus all kids are being racially socialized. I was you know, racially socialized. You were racial. Like yes. we've all been, as yeah. Dr. Tatum says, we've all breathed in that smog of cultural yes. racism. Right. And so there's, I think a real opportunity to say again, prevention, prevention. It's not just about uh, helping black kids and families navigate a racist society. It's like, how do we make the society less racist? Well, let's have all children, and parents and families understand the role racism plays and how that can develop really early and then kind of work to replace that with positive messages
1: I'm just curious how are parents responding to this and are is your conversations different to your parents of color than to your white parents and are they responding the same pretty much or differently
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm at a point in my practice where I'm starting to see, you know, some self selection of who comes to see me again over and over. Right. I I will say from my experience that it's been kind of uniformly positive for patients that I've seen for a while. Sometimes if it's a family I'm meeting for the first time and that's part of. You know, the anticipatory guidance I'm giving him, there is a kind of a, you know, huh, but I have yet to deal with any kind of outright hostile kind of reactions to kind of that conversation. Uh, I think there is a difference in, I'd say more of my black parents and families and, and families of color. I just see kind of like a, a relief that like mm. someone is talking them about this and acknowledging that this is real, right? Uh, But I will say that I have a number of white parents and non-black, non-white parents who are really also like, oh, I'm so glad that someone is giving me some direction on where to go and find out and learn more and how, you know, I can do something because there is concern no one wants their kids to grow up to be a racist. And and so I think universally positive, but certainly there's been a a mix of kind of uh, how that is
1: expressed. I I just love that you're doing this. And one of the things I've learned about even doing this podcast is that um, sometimes people are a little more hesitant to ask questions about race, but if you just, just start talking about it. They really want to hear what you have to say. And so, you know, you taking the lead on that and just giving everybody the information is excellent. Um, Do you have any like specific stories of families that you have talked to and that have, you know, responded in a certain way to this information? So,
0: yeah, so I I would say maybe less so at the three-year visit, but at the five-year visit, or Mm -hmm. if I'm ever seeing a child who's coming to see me because of concerns, of behavior issues, I always talk about kind of the role of schools and some of the racial bias that children experience in schools, particularly around disciplinary actions, right? And and say like kids are getting ready to go to school. I'll talk to parents about, you know, we know that black and brown children in schools, they'll have normal activity that gets labeled disruptive, right? that could lead to things like suspensions and expulsions. And, and first of all, that's not fair. You know, it, It's just part of the unfair reality that we're living in. And that might mean that you have to be down at the school more often than other parents advocating for your kids. But I do want you to know that if you see concerns being raised at school that you don't see at home, and they're starting to talk about suspension or expulsion, please you know, reach out and talk to me. And we can have a conversation and really figure out what is that concern that the Mm -hmm. school is expressing and kind of reframe it through kind of a developmentally appropriate lens, because it really is important to children's health and well-being that they feel safe at school and that they feel that they can be themselves at school to reach their full potential. And I have had parents, you know, really uh, almost break down like that someone is acknowledging like this is happening and and then they start to share experiences that they had in preschool um, or in daycares. Um, I think it's opened up that, like, this is something that's real that we know it impacts you and impacts the health of your your child. And so, you know, let's talk about it. We can be a support in that. And then I've had parents who have taken uh, us up on that offer and, you know, sat down with teachers and administrators to talk through, you know, what is really going on. And so that's work that I wasn't trained to do <laughs> as a pediatrician, uh, as a medical student, as a resident. And I wasn't doing for the first, you know, several years of my practice until I kind of, you know, saw this opportunity and, and led there. And so I feel like there's a huge need, right? Like absolutely, I'm seeing that just this in my practice. And I know that other families are experiencing this, you know, across our community, you know, across our country. And so one of the, parts of my work has been trying to talk to other pediatricians and other family practice providers about yes. about this and how they could, you know, start to get on this path and if consider incorporating into their practice as well.
1: I am really interested in that part. You know, in large part because we know in the field of early childhood that families pediatricians are like one of the highest regarded um external partners. So um, outside of your mother or your your sister or your aunt a pediatrician is really highly valued and trusted. And so if you're able to come to your pediatrician and be able to talk about how do you talk to your children about race and how do you deal with issues around race, um, that can be a huge partnership, long-lasting, and, and is, that's what I'm hearing you say. And so I am really curious to hear how other pediatricians are responding to you, encouraging them to also incorporate this into their practice.
0: Yeah, I think uh, most are very excited and have a lot of questions, right? Because, you know, the way we're trained and appropriately so is a lot of evidence has to be laid and a lot of groundwork has to be laid before practice actually changes, right? Um, And so folks think, you know, it makes a lot of sense when you kind of talk about the overall idea and the approach to it, but then folks really want to be able to point to, you know, either specific policies that from the American Academy of Pediatrics or specific pieces of literature that talk about a specific intervention. And I'd say um, th- it depends on, to some extent, the uh, racial background of the providers. So, like, there's certainly uh, providers in my own clinic who are white who haven't had those conversations before. And so, you know, they admitted that they felt a little awkward uh, initially being you know, the one to kind of bring it up. And we always have to be cognizant about the kind of power dynamic that exists in a encounter between a physician and a and a patient. But uniformly they said when they've done it, parents of patients have really appreciated having, you know, that space to talk about it, to understand how it fits into their child's health. And they've received, you know, great feedback on how that has been able to kind of get them closer to their patients. And so that's kind of locally. And then when I go and talk about it in other parts of the country. You know a lot of questions just about like functionally how to do it so initially when i would do presentations i would kind of you know start with that kind of evidence side and i didn't really include any practical pieces and i really heard well so how do you actually do it, Doctor Jamal? And so I've put <laughs> in like literally like the scripting, like I, I wrote up you know kind of paraphrasing of what I usually say in encounters or at the end of encounters. I put up even like phrases I put in to the medical chart to kind of direct parents to the different resources. And so I think that shift has really helped folks be like, oh, okay, so this, this is something that I'm, I'm kind of already doing. Pieces of this is just incorporating this into the messages and, and guidance that I'm already giving.
1: So, so tell us what is in your script. Because I think what I've learned is that we as adults don't really know how to even start the conversation. Sometimes we even need people to feed us the words to say, because um, we have not been taught how to talk about race. And so w- what do you say to parents?
0: Yeah, yeah, so I will i kind of already did a little paraphrase of uh, the one at school age checkups, but um, I'll, I'll kind of read it for word here for my slides. Our schools do a good job at a lot of things, but like every part of our society, there is bias that our children may experience. For black and brown children, we know that there can be bias in how their behavior is managed. They can be labeled as disruptive or troublemakers for behavior that we know is normal for four or five or six year olds. So if you're hearing from your child's teachers that they have concerns about behaviors that you aren't seeing at home, you'll have to advocate more for them. And that's not fair, but I want to let you know that that is a possibility. If you feel the school isn't listening to you or is talking about things like suspension or expulsion, please reach out to my office. We can get involved with calls and conversations to make sure policies and punishments are developmentally appropriate because we know how important feeling safe and comfortable in school is to their success and long-term health.
1: I'm Diane Halsey, and you're listening to Early Risers: Waking Up to Racial Equity in Early Childhood. Today, my guest is Dr. Nathan Chomolo. He's a practicing general pediatrician with Park Nicollet Health Services and Health Partners in Minnesota. Dr. Chomolo is also a leader in health equity in Minnesota, as well as nationally. He currently serves on the Executive Committee of the American Academy of Pediatrics Section on Minority Health Equity and Inclusion. A few years ago, Dr. Chomelo started educating himself and his medical colleagues about the long history of structural racism in medicine and how that history continues to impact healthcare delivery today. The history
0: of racism in medicine is another thing that we're just not taught in medical school. And so on um, kind of my own journey of self-reflection of how can we really address racism through medicine and, and kind of in our own house, it was really important to understand what has been the history. You know, medicine helped uphold the institutions of slavery and the institutions of land theft by being a tool by which folks can other people based by, on the color of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so there was doctors that were looking to see if there was different skin thickness, uh, different skull sizes, different tolerances of pain. This idea is that you, you could actually tell someone's biology and how their body works differently because of the color of their skin has unfortunately been perpetuated into our medical education to this day. And there was a study in 2015 that looked at how uh, race was discussed in medical school lectures and found that like 94% of the time, race was described as either an implicit or explicit biological difference. And again, that because you know someone's skin color, you know how their kidneys work different or their lungs work different. Then subsequent studies have shown that that actually impacts the care you deliver, mm. right? Uh, as uh, in one of the main areas that's been looked at is around treatment of pain particularly in pediatrics. So there's a study from uh, 2000 that showed that children who showed up to an emergency department with a long bone fracture, so you're talking about the big bones in your legs or arms, you have an x-ray that shows a fracture. You, there's no way that this child is like faking anything. Black children were 66% less likely to get pain medication. And then there's a repeat study that was done around 2015 that looked at appendicitis. And again, you have an image that shows that the appendix is inflamed, the child's in front of you in pain, and it shows that black children were less likely to get the preferred pain control medication, like uh, opioids, for that severe pain, and were less likely to get any pain medication. Right. And so we see that this idea of people being different and their bodies working differently based off of race has really perpetuated into how the care we deliver, even in pediatrics, is impacted.
1: Wow. I am just sitting here kind of reeling with some of those statistics you just rattled off there to know that today, even in this day and age, that our youngest children are still getting treated so poorly in the medical community just because of the color of their skin. One of the things I try to do on early risers is to kind of dispel myths. And one of the myths that we hear people say about young children is that they can't be racist and or that they are colorblind. And what I hear you saying throughout all of your work is that that is not true, that there is an actual development. You talked earlier about our racial identity development that happens. Um, But in that racial identity development, if it's not developed in a healthy way, there is racism that is happening at that young age. Can you talk a little bit about what you may have seen, you know, as a physician, what you may have seen either in your practice or, you know, in early childhood or, or wherever that points to that? I would say,
0: you know, in my, in my practice, I only get, you know, snapshots of children's lives uh, and families' lives, you know, but with a 15-minute or 30-minute visit I'm, I haven't had too many conversations about, well, you know, this child treated my child differently. And I think it was because of their views on race. Um, but when you look at the literature, there have been, you know, studies that that look at this in, in kind of a controlled setting, you know, looking at children as young as two that are using race to reason about people's behaviors. But then it really is that kind of three to four age mm-hmm. where we see it to start to actually impact behavior and so we see it impact things like who they form friends with and how they navigate the social structures. There's even um, evidence that they start to understand uh, how it is socially unacceptable to hold racist views. So they do some of this activity when they know adults aren't watching, right? And so, you know, I think a lot of this is, again, if you tie it to the development, and, you know, we see this as parents and we see this in uh, anyone who's working with kids in this stage is they're really trying to figure out who they are, right, and where they fit. And, you know, because we live in a racialized society, they see that that must mean something. And so what, what, wait, what does that mean to me? And where do I fit in that? You know, right. we talk to parents all the time and I've seen this with my own kid. They, they are always watching everything you do, stuff that you think is innocuous. They're picking up on and then thinking about either replicating it or how it applies to them. And so I think it's both important to understand that from a developmental perspective, because again, we have this opportunity to really, again, help Give them the tools to have a healthy development. And then we know that, you know, time is kind of the essence because as they get to five to seven years of old, they're actually, you know, starting to internalize this and how they determine who their friends are going to be as they enter school. And we know that by as early as 12, if they've developed bias and racist ideas, some of these ideas can be really set and harder to change. And so this idea that they're kind of too young to talk about race is is just not correct. It's not accurate with science. You know, in fact, us in our own discomfort around talking about it, that's getting in the way instead of like our children being ready to really. And I try to frame it that way. Like you want to be the ones right. as parents. You guys want to be the ones that have these conversations. If you don't, if you want to put your head in the ground. That's your choice, but then they're going to get that information from somewhere else. It's They're yes. not living in a bubble. Yes. <laughs> they're going to get it from kids at school. Mm. They're going to get it from their teachers. They're going to get it from the movies they're watching. And so, you know, you can either be an active participant or, or you can let it kind of happen.
1: Yeah. As a pediatrician, what do you say to a parent? So maybe their child is four or five, somewhere in there, and they have um, maybe witnessed that child saying or doing something that you know, might be considered racist or othering somebody else, um, and that parent is concerned about their child. You know, as a pediatrician, what do you say to that parent?
0: Yeah, so yeah, I think that's a great question. And it comes around how do we talk about race in general, right? And mm-hmm. and so whether it's we observe some good behavior or some concerning behavior, um, I think it's really always important to kind of ask the child, oh, you know, where did you hear about that? Or Mm -hmm. why did you do that? Or did you see it done elsewhere? And then you can kind of work with them and kind of talk through, okay, well, how do you think that made the other person feel? And was that fair? And so we often talk about, you know, at this age, we are talking about those concepts of kind of fairness and unfairness, right? And that's kind of one of those first concepts we can uh, have kids really start to grasp that sets the stage for talking about things like racism, like misogyny, Uh, xenophobia Mm -hmm. and and others and then kind of talking about like well next time that happens what's something different you can do really and kind of you know go through that whole step and you know children as young as um four or five can start to engage in that understanding and think about it and then i also kind of point out to parents that like after you have that conversation don't consider it done Mm -hmm. like they're going to keep thinking about it um you're probably going to keep thinking about it so come back to them like a couple days later a week later and say you know remember when we talked about this you know this is what i've been thinking about since how have you thought about it Uh, and and kind of keep building that conversation from there. So I think, you know, that's real important. Those are, those are core ways Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, not only deal with issues with racism, but really any of these kind of behaviors that we're really concerned about.
1: Yes. That's real important. Continuing that conversation. So I'm just curious. So I know you've got a son. You said he was five and a half. I think I've met him when he was much younger. I remember he looks just like you. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. So what are some of the conversations you have um, with him at home about race? Yeah, um, you know, we're always kind of talking uh, just
0: about our own culture. In fact, one of my favorite things right now, like he'll randomly at the dinner table say, Dad, tell me something about your culture. And so we talk about uh, based through the lens of culture. My wife is white. And so we've talked about, you know, how uh, my skin is, you know, kind of brown, black my wife's is white and his kind of golden uh so his skin is a little bit more like mom's mm-hmm. but his hair is more like mine mm-hmm. kind of longer and curlier kind of talking about those differences and how that they're just part of our family our family story yes. you know we have talked about things like you know george floyd's uh murder and dante wright's murder uh just examples of how there is unfairness and that sometimes folks are treated unfairly because of their skin color and that that's not okay. Mm. You know, that's not something we do in our families, but that does exist out there and then talk about if we see folks um, that are experiencing that, how can you kind of help the folks that, are, are being picked on or, or uh, not being treated well and then preparing as he gets older you know he looks like me mm-hmm. uh, in his facial features but he is light-skinned yeah. so he's probably going to be white passing and you know that's gonna i know um from my own experience as a biracial black man kind of come up with other questions and you know kind of being ready to kind of help address those um one of the things i talked to both Beatrices and parents is like you, you do kind of do your own reading because like you can't really you know teach what you weren't taught and, yep. and if you have some of your own unresolved kind of issues around race and your own racial identity, um, that's going to come out with these conversations with your kids. And so it's you know always helpful to have done some of that work before so that you, you feel like you can be uh, more prepared to to talk to your child about it.
1: Well, I've just been having a ball talking with you, Nate. So and before we go, is there any final comments you want to mention or anything I missed or you wish I would have asked you? Um,
0: well, yeah, I just kind of try to connect this work to the rest of my work around addressing structural racism in healthcare because we know that, you know, children will develop biases and these biases then inform them as they grow up to become adults and they set policies, right? And then yep. if those policies yep. are informed by those biases. They're going to then create these population level Health disparities that we're dealing with, and so I think you know, to me it is really critical that you know they're tied. Like we can't, we could do all the work at dismantling structural racism in our policies and systems, but if we're not actually having these conversations, you know, the next generation is just going to come back and potentially even reinstitute some of them. Like we're seeing happen in some spaces yeah. right now. You know, as a '90s kid, I always kept hearing, "Oh, like well, the next generation, the next generation is so progressive, the next mm-hmm. generation is not going to have these same biases," but look at some of the racist killings that we've seen and they're young yep. white boys right mm-hmm. and who've been socialized and this is why it can't yeah. just be we're doing this to help uh the black and brown communities we're doing this for everyone uh and so how do we again give parents the skills to have these conversations to make sure it's on their radar um, as part of their child growing up to be healthy and uh and live to their full potential
1: Dr. Nathan Chomolo is a general pediatrician with Park Nicollet Health Services and Health Partners. Dr. Chomolo shared some wonderful resources with me, including a list of books, websites, and other tools he recommends to families. One of the children's books he likes is called Something Happened in Our Town, A Child's Story of Racial Injustice. We've posted links to those resources on our website. That's at npr.org backslash early risers. While you're there, you can listen to all of our past episodes, find a discussion guide for this episode, and subscribe to this podcast. As always, for more tips and resources, On how to talk with young children about race and racism, visit littlemomentscount.org. Early Risers is hosted by me, Diane Halsey. Our executive producer is Andrea Bork. Our senior producer is Nancy Rosenbaum. Katie Desell is our social media manager. Sound mixing for this episode is by Derek Ramirez, Kaviesh Kavaraj, composed our theme song, I Still Remember. A special thanks to the whole team at Little Moments Count and Minnesota Public Radio. Thanks for listening.